836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Full plate today. During the 9 o'clock hour, we are going to be giving away not one, but two pairs of tickets. So you'll have two opportunities to win tickets to see Roger Waters of Pink Floyd fame when he performs at the BMO Harris Bradley Center at the end of July. So keep listening. Again, we'll have two separate giveaways during the 9 o'clock hour. At the start of the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to be joined by my dear friend John Milan, who had his last weather broadcast last night. Got to got to forecast some snow and things like that. And we're going to talk to John a little bit about his his career and where he goes now. 11.35, of course, it's Thursday. That means it's Pop Culture Corner, and we have a fun one coming up, especially in light of what happened at the Oscars on Sunday night. So all those things stick around. Um, dealer's Choice today, and, and during the 9.30 hour, a discussion of, well, it's one of the classic examples of what we call fake news, and it is what is dominating the headlines today, and it's one of the reasons why I think people end up Losing some trust in the news media, but we will talk about that. But first, we start off the show, as we always do, with a segment I call Three Big Things. These are things that I think you need to know about during the course of the day that you can discuss at the water cooler and the coffee closet, at the lunch table, and maybe later on with your significant other. Big thing number one. I believe that almost everybody, unless you are a hardcore partisan, Almost everybody acknowledges that Donald Trump's joint address to Congress two nights ago was a home run for people who thought that he was going to be unable to appear presidential, that he would go off of script, that he wouldn't be able to stick to message. I mean, I think he certainly exceeded expectations. And for people who are fans of Donald Trump, this was the speech they were willing and waiting for him to give. I think, and I said this yesterday, one of the most significant moments of the speech, and candidly, I, I think it's going to be go down in history. And I understand the significance of what I'm saying. I think it is going to go down in history as being one of the more memorable moments in a presidential address. Not the most memorable moment, but one of the more memorable moments in a presidential address was when President Trump called out and uh, did the reach out to Karen Owens, who is the widow of William Ryan Owens, who, of course, died in a U.S. special ops raid in Yemen last month. And two minutes standing ovation for her. She was clearly touched. Um, you, you could see her at one point in time looking up in the, into the sky and um, looking up to the heavens and saying that she, she loved her, her late husband. So th- this was a moment that I think really took America by, by, by storm. It, it's not a, just a moment that played well in the, the room. It's also a moment that I think played extremely well across the country on TV. So, as you might expect, the long knives immediately come out. And yesterday, a number of people decided this this was not a moving moment. This was not a great moment in a presidential speech. This was a contemptibly, this is the phrase that the columnist from the Washington Post uses, a contemptibly cynical manipulation of a grieving widow. Um, a number of people suggesting, for example, the, the word that's being thrown around is is prop. I'm, I'm looking at one of the stories out here. Some of President Trump's opponents have criticized him for honoring the widow of a fallen Navy SEAL during his first congressional address, saying that she was used as a prop. 
and a number of the folks are saying, look, you know, this was this was shameful. Here you have Donald Trump who trots out the widow of somebody who's obviously she's grieving. This is somebody who lost his life in what is being described by some of the anti-Trump people as a failed U.S. military operation. And Trump has the audacity to use this grieving widow as an applause line. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line, and also we now take texts as well at 414-799-1620. All right, all right, do you think it was contemptible? Do you think that Donald Trump used this woman as a prop and an applause line? Should she have not been invited? Should he have not recognized her? Was this a shameless way to manipulate the heartstrings of the American public in order to make himself look better, or was was this what I think a lot of people felt it was a heartfelt tribute to the surviving spouse of a fallen American soldier? Was she being used as a prop? Should Trump apologize? Should those of us who thought it was a great moment be ashamed of ourselves? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss next. It's 841, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. Eight forty four, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. What exactly is an aerotropolis, and why the local officials think it can reinvigorate Mitchell International Airport and the surrounding area? Get the answers and the details with Scafidi and Billstead today at twelve thirty five. All right, uh, it, it didn't take long, but after what I think a lot of people would acknowledge was one of the most moving and emotional and memorable moments that they've seen in a presidential address in a long time. That is last Tuesday night when Donald Trump singles out uh, Karen Owens, who is the widow of a fallen Navy SEAL. Long applause moment. A number of people, at least a handful of people, taking to Twitter, going public, saying this was shameful. This was contemptible that Donald Trump would use the widow of a fallen soldier who died in a failed mission in Yemen as a prop for applause. Is that how you saw it? Mark in Whitewater. Mark, you're first. Good morning. With you, I think it was uh, pathetic and gut-wrenching and shameful. Tell me why. Um, well, because of all the criticism of that raid and his father speaking out and saying that my son was wasted for something that yielded nothing and very little research was done, it was something that possibly the president rushed into. Do you think, do you think that any time a president in a situation like that would honor the surviving spouse or the family members of a full, fallen soldier, that that would, be, that would be using them as a prop? Yes, I do. Obviously, she was very, very hurt and shaken, and she accepted the offer. I'm curious, did he approach the father and ask the father to attend? Well, I, I don't know, but what, why, what difference does it make if the wife volunteered, if the wife wanted to go? I still don't agree with you. Okay. All right. right. Thanks. All right. All right. That's Mark. Mark says it was contemptible. This was a failed raid. Of course, that's the talking point. The military is saying, no, we we, we did achieve stuff. Obviously, any time you lose a soldier, that is a tragedy. And the reason I ask is, by the way, this is not an uncommon thing. You will have... Other times where you know you have surviving spouses or family members of fallen soldiers who are called out and who are identified and who are thanked for the service that their spouse has given, and I don't remember a lot of conversations about being a a, a prop 
But, you know, Mark thinks this was contemptible. It was a prop. Um, have an e- I have a tweet here, a text, actually, 799-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, he used the widow as a prop. The um, fall, the Navy, the fallen SEAL's father is at odds with Trump. Why wasn't he there to pay tribute to his son? So, okay, you, you, bring, out, you bring out the wife. That's wrong. Do you view that, was this contemptible? Did he use her as a prop? Uh, let's talk to Rose in Racine. Rose, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Rose. I'm telling your uh, screener that I think he, Trump was stellar at bringing out, showing that he has compassion for the loss of the military people that are trying to secure our country and everything. And I blame the news media for keeping the, the channel that I watched. They kept the camera on her. That was not needed. To me, that was appalling. That they what they kept it on her for the entire two minutes of the applause. Well, it was back and forth. Right. It was more majority of it was on her, and I think that's just disgusting. Give her privacy when she's crying instead of putting it out there like she's a baiting a uh, a window there to you know window dressing for their own own gain. Now, some people would say, Rose, that it's the president that's the president who did that by by bringing her there in the first place and singling her out. That he he was the one who who used her as that window dressing. Some people might say that. Correct, but the news media doesn't need to do all that garbage. Right. No, I I I, I mean, I guess I I'm surprised. Thanks for, I mean, I, I am surprised. I guess I shouldn't say I'm surprised. I I am. I am not surprised, but I am disappointed that you have this type of backlash. Again, this is not, it is not unusual for presidents to bring, or, or actually other political figures as well, to bring in spouses or family members of people who have given their life and service to the, the country um, and, and to single them out for some degree of recognition. Now, when Donald Trump does it, apparently he, he's using him as a, a prop i guess that's the way you kind of look at it but i don't think that's the way most people looked at it now i don't know if the fallen seals father was invited and chose not to attend but clearly if clearly the widow had no problem going and had no problem being recognized in that particular fashion she could have certainly said no and i think you know in the context of the remarks where Donald Trump is talking about expanding the military and the need to fight terrorism and the commitment to spend you know more money on defense, I, I think it it high, and the sacrifice that people make, I think it highlighted um, what exactly the point he was trying to make. Steve in Appleton, Steve, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Uh, I guess what I'd like to ask is where was the outrage and despicability component when Barack Obama? had a wounded soldier who had gone through numerous surgeries and went disfigured. I didn't hear anything about that individual, and he is true American hero, no doubt about it, as is the, the individual who's, uh, who, who was killed, the widow. Um, it, it's just the typical double standard. Um, and for the first caller, you know, I question his knowledge of what goes on inside of the intelligence community. Um, right. He, well- well, well, exactly, and I understand that that's the the way. It just this is a failed raid, um, you know. I, of course, that that's of course not the, the line that you're getting. They said it was very successful. Unfortunately, you had somebody that lost their life, which to me, Steve, underscores, you know, the risks that are involved on a daily basis in the men and women who serve to protect our country. That 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 underscores what is going on and the risks they face. That is the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. Not all but a good portion of the Democrats who just can't understand 
that the security of this nation is at stake. And these are true American heroes are out there defending their freedom. Well, exactly. And again, if if the spouse, if Karen Owens didn't want to go and didn't want to be there and didn't want to be recognized and didn't want to have her husband's service recognized, she could have always said no. She was asked she was given the opportunity, and she decided to say yes. And I guess I find it to be offensive that somebody, again, for political purposes, would try to tell the widow what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate. If the widow felt that, gee, my husband lost his life in vain or I have an issue with his service or whatever, she would have had every right to say, no, I don't want to go. But at the same time, who are people on the outside to say to somebody, surviving spouse in this case, no, you should not go. You're, you're just going to be used. Well, all right, that's, that is arrogance in the extreme. Marianne and Racine. Marianne, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hi, good morning. And I think that what uh, Mr. Trump did was very appropriate and respectful. You know, if if he gave everybody a million dollars, they still would complain about something right. just to complain. Right, because it's and all in hundreds. I want it in 20s. I, you're giving me a million dollars in $100 bills. How can I spend that? I've got to go to the bank and break it down. Yes. It's, yeah. You know, there's some people that are just not happy that he is doing what he's doing. And to pick this poor lady apart and disrespect her and her husband and the military and you know he didn't die for nothing you know this is something that everyone who has anybody in the military goes through they respect them 100 percent you know i i had a brother who was in the service and he was he was like in his late 20s and he was in a fire in okinawa Okay, and he he did something that other people would never do. He went through the fire and saved the rest of his troop, and then him and a lot of other people was due to a, a typhoon. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know these people, you know he he relives some of that year to year. You know he's in his fifties now, and people don't understand that what this poor woman is going to go through, along with other military people for the rest of their lives. And then we have people that say he's doing this just to point something out. Uh, what about when Obama had that young boy up there and said, "Well, this could be my son." Well, well, right. Well, what do you think that was? Well, well exactly. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, uh, Penny sends us on our on our Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. She makes the point, did we hear the same thing when the Democrats brought out the Gold Star family at the convention? I mean, I don't care who is in power. We should never question honoring our heroes. And that's, that is precisely the, the point. And again, I, I just, what I think is contemptible is some people who are anti-Trump, who just cannot stand anything that he could do. And I, I, I've, I, I have criticized the president when I think he has been wrong. But to honor in this fashion, to give voice and to put the image of the wife up there, the fallen spouse, and to acknowledge her and to acknowledge her husband and to acknowledge her husband's sacrifice, for for her to essentially be accused of being a prop when it's very clear to me, again, she made that decision. Look, I, I understand, you know, when you're dealing with the issue, if, you, if you've lost a loved one, and for any of you who've gone through this, I know you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, you, you have to figure out, what, what can you do? What can't you do? What is appropriate? What are the boundaries? How do you feel? But if this woman feels, you, you know, I, I just to honor my husband's memory and his service, I, I want to attend this presidential address. I, I want 
his service to be recognized? Who are people at the Washington Post or some of the Hillary Clinton volunteers and supporters, and that's some of the people that were responsible for sending out some of the most vicious tweets, who are they to tell this woman, no, that you cannot do that? 858, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is the third day since our rollout of the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. So you can call into the program, obviously, we love that, but also you can participate via text. Um, one thing, if, if you're going to text us, we'd ask you if you can include your name and where you're texting from, just because if I read your text on the air, it's easier to give you acknowledgement. Um, have a couple texts just to wrap this up. Um, I Somebody uh, who did not leave their name, says, I was widowed, and a month after my husband's death, I wasn't thinking clearly, and I believe neither was she. She was exploited in her grief. To which I would say, how do you know? With, with all due respect, how do you know? Lots of people lose loved ones. Unfortunately, lots of people lose spouses. And everybody processes it differently. And I don't know that I can judge how you know one person is going to react to this and whether or not you have this opportunity and whether or not you know you're being exploited or whether or not you think hey this is an acknowledgement a chance to acknowledge my husband's service and his life and his death so i i don't feel i can sit in judgment of the the widow i don't think i can say that she i think she was exploited she perhaps said hey this was a fitting tribute to my husband and i don't think any of us can know um much less People who view it from a political, particular political prism. Just saying. Big thing number two is coming up. They call it merit-based immigration. We'll discuss. It's 859. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 909. Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. We're right in the middle of our three big things segment. By the way, coming up at 1105, we're going to be talking to John Milan, retiring chief meteorologist from today's TMJ4. 1135. It's Thursday. That means it's Pop Culture Corner. And coming up before the end of the hour, not one but two chances for you to win a pair of tickets to see Pink, uh, Pink Floyd, to see Roger Waters of Pink Floyd fame at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Not one but two chances to win tickets coming up in this hour. So keep listening. And a discussion of the story that is dominating national news that to me fits into that category of fake news. Will you continue to be fooled again? All right, big thing number two. Um, immigration. Moving forward, we have, we have a lot of things we have to figure out with immigration. We have to figure out how to secure our borders. I understand that there's a lot of the illegal alien lobby who doesn't believe that we should have who believes we should have open borders and that people should be able to come into this country and go from this country as, as they wish. That's a dumb premise. No country in the world uh, that's going to be successful allows just open borders. Um, in addition, we have an issue with, you know, what do you do with the people who are already illegally in this country? And we've talked about that at great length. You know, can you deport 11 million people? What about people who've been in this country for 10 years or 15 years who are working at a job that maybe on a typical American wouldn't want? You know, do, do you deport them? So th those are valid issues. But moving forward, the question becomes, where do we go with legal immigration? And you know, Donald Trump had some very interesting comments the other day. Um, he was actually praising Canada's immigration system on Tuesday night. Now, this is the legal immigration system. This isn't the people who come into the country illegally. But Canada has what they call a merit-based immigration system. In deciding who they are going to allow into the country, 
what they look at is a number of factors, but mostly um, they want to emphasize people who can contribute to the economy. The way it works in Canada is they set up, if you want to apply to come into the country, they set up, it's actually a point scale where points are awarded for your, your skills in various things. You can get up to 28 points for language skills. The more fluent you are in English and French, which are the two official languages of Canada, the more points you get. You can get up to 25 points for education, five for a high school diploma, 19 for a two-year college degree, 25 for a Ph.D. You get points for work experience. The more skilled the job, the more years you spent doing it, the more points you get. You get points if you have a current job offer from a Canadian employer. So, and, and there's other factors as well, but it's on a 100-point scale. And what they're doing is they are screening for what I guess you would describe the more economically desirable inmate, uh, potential immigrants. You know, it wor- awards you points if you're going to be able to adapt, if you speak the languages, if you've got work skills, if you've got education. And to a lesser extent, you know, you get some points if you've got um, immediate relatives that are in the country. But in essence, they are screening for the people who are most likely to contribute to the economy and the growth of Canada as a nation, as opposed to people who are going to come in and be a drag on the social system. 414 414- Seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, in this country, and we're talking again about legal immigration, not illegal immigration. We put most emphasis on family ties and things like that. All right, this is saying we need to take a look at the overall immigration system and say, if we're making decisions about people who are going to come into this country, should we put an emphasis on people who are positioned in the best position to succeed? Once they come into this country and succeed, we're going to measure it as far as education. We're going to measure it as far as language skills. Do they speak the language? We're going to measure it as far as, uh, again, uh, job performance. Do they have job offers? Should we in the United States switch to a more merit-based immigration system like they do in Canada? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Donald Trump singled out the Canadian system and f- lavished it with praise. 914, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh-huh. Nine seventeen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. During his address on Tuesday night, President Trump singled out Canada as saying Canada has a merit-based immigration system. Um, what that is leading to is the people who are being allowed to legally immigrate to Canada tend to have better educations, they tend to have job skills, they tend to have language skills, so they are driving the economic engine of Canada, whereas in the United States, our legal immigration tends towards, again, lower-end, less-skilled people. Trump is saying, maybe we need to look at Canada. Is he on to something? John in Milwaukee. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, sir. What do you think? Uh, my brother, um, and I give you a lot of details, but I'll give you the, the thumbnail here. My brother uh, went to Canada in the early, early 80s under what they call the green card, and in order to stay there, in order to extend his stay, 
he had to prove that he would create unemployment, create jobs, rather than take a job from a Canadian citizen. Right. And that that's your, that's your merit. I mean, the people that are already here, too. Um, that's the system in Canada. If you want to stay in Canada longer than uh, you're initially let in, then you have to confirm that you would create employment. And do you think that makes sense? Is that a good way to proceed? Yes. I remember being struck by that and the wisdom of that. Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, I look at this and I say, okay, if, again, I understand that you want to have an immigration policy, and I understand that also that lots of people who are coming in from overseas have stuff to offer. Just as a matter of prioritizing, if we accept the premise that you can't have everybody, doesn't it make sense that you're going to prioritize the most, quote-unquote, desirable people? You know, folks with, with educations, folks that have jobs lined up, folks that are going to be contributing to the economy and advancing the, uh, the country. That, to me, makes much more sense than just simply saying, okay, well, is, is there some sort of um, extended family tie or something like that for somebody who's going to come into the country who's not going to be able to find a job, who's going to be able to, who's going to end up being a drain on the social service system. We, we want the best and the brightest, don't we? That's right. My brother was a professional musician, still is, and he uh, he not only would would start bands, but he would he was a producer and a songwriter and would actually uh, yeah. train Canadians to, uh, to better themselves. Is he still in Canada? He is. Okay, interesting. Thanks for the call. Wally in West Bend. Wally, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I just basically, I was thinking about this, and I educate my kids about this. When my fa- grandfather came here from Germany, he came first on a visa back in 32 or so uh, from Germany just to visit his brother. Right. Well, he went back and he saw what Hitler was starting to do in 38, or actually before 38, and he had to put in for uh, citizenship, but he had to have guarantee for the the government had to have somebody guarantee that he'd have a place to stay, right. that he would have a job before he could come over, and they had to do a background check on him before he had come at the time. But when he left Germany, he left with nothing. Right. He could leave, but he but when he came here, he had to have a job. He had right. to stay with his brother. He had to have somebody vouch for him. Uh, yeah, and I guess I don't. I guess that doesn't strike. Yeah, see, and I guess thanks to Colwell, that that does not strike me as being some sort of unreasonable requirement. If if we accept the basic premise that you cannot have unlimited immigration, I understand there's a lot of people out there who think we should just have open borders. We shouldn't worry about this. Well, I'm not one of them. I just don't think that you can. I don't think that when you look at peop, the drains on again social services through people who are in this country legally. I think it's perfectly reasonable to say, all right, we're going to prioritize and we're going to put our emphasis. And again, there's always going to be people who you admit for humanitarian purposes and things like that. But I think the emphasis always has to be on who is going to contribute the most to our society. And Canada, this is the recipe they found. And I don't know that the point system they have there is perfect, but I, I think I think this is a very, very solid way to start thinking about legal immigration moving forward. And I think we spend, a, in some respects, too much time thinking about illegal immigration and how do we deal with that. I think we also need to look at legal immigration. Mike in Montello. Mike, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. What do you think? I've, uh, I've lived long enough to know that my grandparents, great-grandparents, came here in 1851 or about, 
one uh, side from Germany, the other side from Czechoslovakia. And when they came here with their families, they wanted to stay healthy because they wouldn't be let in. If they even had a common cold, they might be turned back, mm-hmm. or one in their family be turned back, and they both had to have trades or occupations. The German side, my great-grandfather was a cooper. He made barrels. He made cases uh, mm-hmm. for steam engine uh, yeah. Well, and, I, I, uh, on the Bohemian side, my great grandfather was a potter, and so that was a uh, qualification to get here. Uh, and right. they had to they had to be good to get out of their own countries too. They had, you just couldn't walk out. You had to be. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, see, and I, I get that. I mean, again, I, look, and I'm I, I'm not advocate. There, there's always going to be a place for. I don't know whether it's humanitarian situations or whether it's immediate family. For example, if you have somebody, in, if, if you're in this country and you're in this country legally and you want to, you, you, you want your brother to be able to come into this country, I mean, there, there have to be always allowances for that. But at the same time, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with looking at one of these merit-based ways to approach legal immigration as well. And this is one of the situations where if everybody is always pointing to Canada as being this ideal situation, except when it comes to their health care plans, uh, if, if, if it's good enough for Canada, should we at least consider moving more towards that system? It's 923, big thing number three, coming up. Stick around. Nine twenty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. We have our winner of our first pair of tickets. We're going to be giving away two pairs of tickets to see Roger Waters at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. We have our first winner. Um, I'm going to be giving away another pair of tickets before ten o'clock. So keep listening for your chance to win. Anything goes on Thursday nights. Could Eddie Lacy be back with the Packers? How are the Brewers looking after the first few games of spring training? Ask Greg Matzik your sports questions on Sports Central. That is at seven thirty three tonight. By the way. If you go to WTMJ.com, you will see we have a special section devoted to our, our mobile app. Um, we now podcast my program it's an entire in its entirety, and I know lots of people download it and listen to it on their own schedule. I appreciate that very much. We also podcast uh, Sports Central. And then there's another bunch of other podcasts you can download and listen to from people whose voices you don't hear on the radio. It's a very interesting project. I think they're doing a tremendous job with that. So check all that out. Big thing number three. Actually, John McCure, yesterday afternoon, give him credit, he had um, an attorney from the ACLU on talking about this lawsuit that they have filed with the uh, against the Milwaukee Police Department. And I, I just, I, I love the language here. The Milwaukee Police Department, this is what the attorney says, the Milwaukee Police Department is and has been for some years running a massive stop and frisk program which targets people being stopped by police and often frisked without reasonable suspicion of wrongdoing, just innocent people. It also appears to involve racial profiling. All right, th- this is, of course, from the ACLU, which in this particular case is setting itself up as the criminal's friend. This is a lawsuit that the Milwaukee Police Department in the city of Milwaukee needs to fight vigorously. First of all, the police department denies that they have a stop-and-frisk program. What they do is they flood the streets in high-crime areas with police. 
They encourage the police to interact with people. There is nothing illegal, unconstitutional, or in violation of any policy with police officers going up to people and engaging them in conversation. Now, people have a right to walk away, but the police can say, hey, what are you doing here? What is going on? Do you mind if I search you? There is nothing illegal about that. The police department denies it has a stop and frisk program. As to this aspect that it is targeting, it's racial profiling, it's targeting minorities. Here is the reality. The high crime areas in the city of Milwaukee are predominantly minority. That's not I don't you can argue as to why that is, but that is the reality. It only makes sense to target law enforcement into the areas where there are high crime rates. So that's what they're doing. And they do have a sort of quality of life approach. What they find is that the little stuff leads to big stuff. So, yes, if you are in a high crime area and you see a car with a taillight that's out, you, you pull it over. And what you find on occasion is that the person who's driving with the taillight out has committed another crime. Now, is that racial profiling? No. That is crime control. This suit by the ACLU is nothing short of outrageous. And the police department needs to fight it. The city of Milwaukee needs to fight it. And citizens in Milwaukee need to fight it as well. This is one of these situations where if you want, if you want jobs in a community, what you have to do is you have to eliminate the criminal element. In my opinion, this lawsuit is another example of the ACLU deciding to stand up with the criminal fringe against the rights of honest, tax-paying, law-abiding citizens in Milwaukee. And I hope the city fights it. And when I listen to rhetoric like this, massive stop-and-frisk program, this is a case that I think once it goes to court and once you really see what the ACLU is all about here, you will probably agree with me that, well, maybe we'd rather side with the police than the ACLU. That's big thing number three. WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. All right, scandal or fake news? So before that, the Bucks continue their homestand tomorrow against the L.A. Clippers. We've got the broadcast live from the BMO Harris-Bradley Center. Our coverage starts with Buckshots at 6.40 tomorrow night. Uh, Jeff Sessions, long-serving senator from Alabama, member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, is now the Attorney General of the United States. He is a very controversial figure. You will remember that the Democrats tried to do everything they could to block his nomination. The allegations were he's this horrible person, he's a racist person, he's unfit to be in the Department of Justice. Uh, They failed, and now he is the Attorney General of the United States. There's much being made about whether or not there was Russian interference in the election the, the the election and i don't think there's any question that i don't think there's any question that the russians would have rather had donald trump than than hillary clinton and so i, I think if you do an investigation you're going to find that there were some for example some of the leaks of the democratic documents i i think it probably did come from russian hacking what the democrats are desperately 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 trying to find though is evidence that there was collusion between russia and the Trump campaign. So, look, again, I don't think you could argue that Russia was trying to meddle in this election. 
to, to take the next step, though, to say that there was active involvement between the Trump campaign and Russia, so far is a bridge way too far. No investigations have discovered that up to this point. You've also got the long knives out. You've got a lot of people in still in this administration, many of whom are Obama supporters, who have made a, a program and a point to systematically leak information to the news media when it suits their purposes of, of controversial or you know protected intercepts or whatever, so that they, they make those leaks. So the latest quote-unquote scandal involves Attorney General Jeff Sessions. When he was going through his confirmation hearings, um, he was being asked, he was being portrayed as, as a surrogate for the Trump administration. He was, for the Trump campaign, he was a supporter of Donald Trump's early on. Does that make him a surrogate? I, I don't know. But he was asked whether he had discussed campaign issues with the Russians. And, you know, one of the questions that, that he was asked was, again, you know, ha, did you did you speak with, you know, any Russian officials to discuss, did you did you speak with Russian officials? The context of this was they were looking and fishing to see if he, as a surrogate for the Trump campaign, was involved in talking to Russian officials to, uh, again, help them meddle. It was in the context of the campaign. He says, this is what he said under oath, I never met with any Russian officials. Um, and he's talking about, again, the context being the, the campaign. Well, now it, it turns out in information that, once again, is leaked to the Washington Post, that over the past year, as in his role on the Armed Services Committee, he did have two meetings with the Russian ambassador. One meeting was not a private meeting. It was at the Republican convention where there was a group of ambassadors from a number of different countries who you know, he had contact with. So that was contact number one. Apparently in September, there was another meeting with the Russian ambassador and there's no suggestion that it had anything to do with campaign issues. Keep in mind that he is the chairman of, he was on the Armed Services Committee. So meeting with ambassadors and representatives from other countries would not be something that would be unusual. Now, his statement is, look, I, I didn't mislead Congress in this regard. You know, I... I never met with any Russian officials to discuss issues of the campaign. I have no idea what this allegation is about. It is false. The Democrats are saying you need to resign. If there's any investigation of Russian tampering, you need to recuse yourself because now you have, have lied. You said that you didn't have any contact with Russian officials. And, in fact, you did have these two meetings, one in a group with lots of other people, lots of other senators, and lots of other ambassadors, and this second meeting. All right, 414 Seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us tee this up. This is the big story that's out there. Um, is this is this a scandal or is this fake news? Is this a basis for the Attorney General, as Nancy Pelosi is calling on, to to resign? Has he lied in this regard, or is this again much ado about nothing and simply an attempt to try to undermine the Trump administration by wild and outrageous claims? Nobody alleges 
that at these meetings, and of course, one took place with a whole bunch of, of people. Nobody alleges that the campaign was, in fact, discussed. But is this a basis for Sessions to have to step down? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. It's 941. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 944, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, so Al Franken... The who's probably biggest claim to fame is starring in Trading Places and Saturday Night Live. He he's a senator from Minnesota. They're questioning Jeff Sessions during his confirmation hearings about whether or not Sessions had any knowledge of Trump campaign collusion with the Russians. And so Franken asks, is there any evidence that anyone affiliated with the Trump campaign communicated with the Russian government in the course of the campaign? Again, the context is. You know, were, were you helping Russia meddle in the election? And Session says, I'm not aware of any of those activities. I've been called a surrogate a time or two in that campaign, and I did not have communications with the Russians, and I'm unable to comment on it. Well, all right, as it turns out, he as he's a U.S. senator. As his role in the armed, uh, on the Armed Services Committee, he, together with other senators and a group of ambassadors, met with the Russian ambassador once in a group setting. He met with the Russian ambassador apparently separate, separately in September. There's no evidence that this had anything to do with the campaign. Um, is this perjury? Is this a basis for him to have to recuse himself? Or is this much ado about nothing? Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're first. Good morning. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I don't really wish that uh, senators, they, they're supposed to be the smart ones. I wish they would just do the right thing and not uh, try to play all these games. Well, I, I mean, that's – look, I mean, I understand that – you know, I understand that you, you know, you, if you're in the, the opposition party, you have a you have a, an obligation to try to do whatever you can to advance your cause for political purposes. But in, in this particular case, I mean, I'm trying to see where the fire is. I don't even know that I see smoke here. The guy's a U.S. senator. You have a group meeting with a Russian ambassador and other ambassadors. You're talking about in testimony whether or not you've been involved in like any knowledge of campaign meddling. To me, this is apples and oranges. Well, I could see if there's a fire to start. Yeah. They're trying to start fires. They're trying so hard to start fires, and it's ridiculous. They should just grow up and do what they're supposed to do. Well, I mean, thanks. For, I mean, look, here, here's the thing. Now, you hear the word recusal thrown around. Recusal means that you, if you're a judge or if you're a prosecutor, I guess it could apply to defense attorneys as well, but generally it comes up with judges or prosecutors. You can recuse yourself if there is like an appearance of impropriety. Even if there's not an actual conflict of interest, you decide, hey, maybe just because of the way it looks, maybe somebody else should investigate this particular case. Now, if there is, if there is seriously a basis to start an investigation as to whether or not Trump campaign officials were involved in colluding with the Russian government to try to influence the election, and so far there is no evidence at all of that fact. Okay, well, maybe, maybe regardless of this testimony or not, maybe Sessions, who was, of course, one of the early supporters of President Trump, maybe that's a situation where he would say, okay, I think I should recuse myself from this decision, just like the former Attorney General, Loretta Lynch. Remember, she recused herself when there was investigations of impropriety involving the Clinton Foundation following her 
four-hour meeting on that tarmac with, with Bill Clinton. So maybe if it ever gets to that stage where there's a serious investigation of whether or not there's any reason to believe that the Trump administration, the Trump campaign was colluding with the Russians, maybe in that case you could say recusal. To suggest that, oh, this is perjury and he needs to step down and he needs to resign, to me, that's just, that's nuts. 414-799-1620 is the number. Charlotte in northern Illinois. Charlotte, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, was there ever a investigation of the Clinton Foundation? Uh, millions of dollars were taken by Bill and Hillary for their foundation. Ten percent went to charity. They came from the contributions came from despots all over the world, and uh, it's illegal for uh, foreign contributions to go toward our presidential elections. Um, well, right. The, yes. Um, is there an ongoing investigation? I, I don't know, Charlotte. I, I don't. That's the you know, that's the question. But it is interesting that, you know, that's that's now what the test ends up being. OK, let's talk to Barb in northern Wisconsin. Barb, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. I just um, think, you know, I, I don't think there's a problem with a senator doing his job, you know, being in a committee and talking to whoever he wants. The fact that I'm having the difficulty was when he was um, being scrutinized to become the attorney general, mm-hmm. they asked him if he had any anything to do with the Russians, if he had spoken to the Russians during the last campaign. And he said no. And that you know what? After he gives his testimony, he has the right, and he should, look at his testimony and think if maybe I said something that wasn't correct, he could have corrected it right then. The fact that he didn't correct it and that he lied under oath. Now, you really think that's you think that's a lie. He was he was the context of the questioning was, you know, did you as a surrogate of the campaign? Are you aware of either yourself or any other members of the campaign colluding with Russians to try to meddle in in the race? And his his actual remark was, I've been called a surrogate at a time or two in the campaign. I did not have communications with the, the Russians. Um, you think that that's an out-and-out lie. Out lie? That's a, how could you not see it as a lie? Because and if, and if, and if it was so simplistic of him just as a senator talking to the Russians, why would he just say yes? I well, mean, because he probably didn't remember it. I mean, if, if you're, in a, you're in a group meeting, you meet with ambassadors all the time. I mean, I, if you're asking somebody about, you know, if, if the focus of the questioning is, are you colluding with the Russians to screw around with the campaign? And that's what you're focusing on when you answer the questions. Are you necessarily, is it automatically a lie when it, oh gosh, I forget, at the Republican National Convention, me and a bunch of other senators, there was a group of ambassadors and the Russian ambassador was there. I mean, is that automatic, you, you interpret that to be a lie? I don't believe, I don't believe for one second he did not expect that question. Obviously he knew that question was coming up. Uh, if he can't remember something he did two months before the question, he certainly is not qualified to be the Attorney General. Okay, thanks for the call, Barb. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk uh, talk and Text Line. Okay, is, is this, in fact, a, a lie? Now, I agree with Barb to an extent that I guess it could have been more precise. This, But th- this issue goes away if he says, have I ever met with any Russians at any point in time? Well, yes, I- I'm on the armed force, I'm on the armed services committee, and there was a whole bunch of ambassadors that were together, and yes, we were in this group setting, it was me and a bunch of other senators, and it was a bunch of ambassadors, and I believe the Russian ambassador was there. 
okay, if he would have said that, I, I guess it makes this issue go away, but then there would probably be another. Is, is, this, is this a lie? Is this something that is impeachable? Let's see. Dennis writes, this is nothing but fake news. It is documented that he met with many foreign dignitaries during the so-called meetings. The liberal media is doing nothing but grasping for straws. Now, again, I, it, could he have been more precise? I, I guess perhaps. But if you're questioning somebody about, and, and maybe it was open-ended enough that he should have said, well, gee, let me think if I've ever had any contact with, with anybody associated with Russia at all. But if the context is, and this was the context he was being questioned, the context was, all right, do you have any knowledge of the Trump campaign colluding with Russians in order to meddle in the election, not in your capacity as the Armed Services Committee, have you ever run into the Russian ambassador? Does it make a difference? We continue the conversation next. It's 9.52. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 9.55. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A Wisconsin elected official is fighting to eliminate his position. Why does the state treasurer feel like his office is unnecessary? He stops by Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 321 today. Check that out. Um, you know, um, let's see. Al Franken, here's one of our, on our text line. Al Franken had a very minor role in trading places. He didn't stay in it, and he was mediocre at best on Saturday Night Live. The left is grasping at straws in an attempt to ruffle feathers. It's really sad. That is fake news. Steve from Racine. Look, I, look, I, I want to be real clear here. If if it turns out that there is evidence that members of the Trump campaign were colluding with the Russian government to meddle in this election, the last election, if they're able to come up with evidence of that, that is a big deal. It is potentially, I say potentially, an impeachable offense, potentially, depending on how, how high up the, the chain it goes. That is a big deal. This story, though, is, in my opinion, much ado about nothing. If you've got Jeff Sessions, who is a lightning rod, he is testifying and he's being asked questions about, you know, as part of the Trump campaign, did you have contacts with the Russians? And he says no. Is that the same as Jeff Sessions, who, as the chairman of the Armed Services Committee, had two meetings in his capacity as a senator, one of which was with all sorts of other people, with the Russian ambassador who happened to be there. Um, I, I think these are two very, very different things. Now, I guess you can argue that Sessions should have been perhaps more precise and said, well, I understand you're asking me about did I have contact with the Russians in the course of the campaign. I had nothing to do with any campaign-related discussions with the Russians. But as the chairman of the Armed Services Committee, I, I do from time to time meet with diplomats from various countries. And uh, on two occasions, if he even remembered those at the time, on two occasions, I believe I, I had a meeting with the Russian ambassador. So if, but we did not discuss campaign-related matters, and we certainly didn't discuss Russian meddling. Now, I guess you could have said he would have been, could have been more precise in doing that, but absent any indications that Jeff Sessions was, in fact, colluding with the Russians, to me, this is, again, it's a nothing burger of a story, 
and it's just out there, I think, to distract, and this will be the news cycle for a day or two. Now, I do acknowledge that if there is evidence to seriously open up an investigation of collusion, this probably means that Jeff Sessions should not be the one to run that. And I would have said that regardless, since he was tied into the Trump campaign. He should probably recuse himself. But beyond that, nothing more. So this is going to be the story that dominates the cycle for the next day. But but take it with a grain of salt. 9, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is the segment of the program. I call it Dealer's Choice. To me, it's not necessarily the most significant topic of the day, but we do it every day this time. It, it's talkable topics, and I, I find this to be interesting, and again, it comes from the world of immigration. It involves a woman named Daniela Vargas, who is 22 years old. Now, let me back into this story. If you look at immigration whether we're talking legal or illegal immigration, I personally believe that one of one of the things in the system that is hopelessly screwed up, and if you want to figure out whether we learned any lessons after September 11th, and if you wanted to conclude that we didn't, it would be the way we treat people who come in with visas and then disappear into the country, never to be seen again. They, they call them visa overstays. You know, if you look at the people who perpetrated, you know, the terrorist attacks on 9-11, they were visa overstays, people who come into this country and then just kind of disappear into the country and we lose track of them. We do a relatively good job from an immigration perspective of, of monitoring people as they come in. But then once they get into the country, we have no really good way of keeping track of them and no way of finding them when they overstay their visas. And at the risk of being, again, labeled one of these cruel, hard-hearted conservatives, I have no sympathy for people who do not follow the rules and just decide that the rules do not apply to them. All right, so here's the woman's name is Daniela Vargas. She lives in Jackson, Mississippi. She's 22 years old. Um, She was seven years old when she came to the United States from Argentina with her father and her mother and her brother on a three-month visa in 2001. The visa expired. So they come into this country legally, they're allowed to be here for three months. The visa expired, but the family didn't leave, establishing a life in Mississippi. Eventually, what happened is the parents divorced. The mother moved out of state. So you've got the dad, and you've got the brother, and you've got her that are here. Um, she was on a visa waiver. Um, what, well, what ended, what ended up happening then is because of her age, um, she was eligible for something called the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival Policy. Under this policy, what she could do is she could reapply every two years to stay in the country. So she came in as a kid, she could extend her visa, and she could stay. She did that on two occasions. Apparently, um, in December of 2012, In November of 2014, she was given two-year extensions, two-year protection. But you have to do this. Um, Her most recent extension expired in November of 2016. So she loses her legal right to be in this country as of November of 2016. 
she did not reapply for this. Now, what she says now is in mid-February, you know, she came up with the application fee and sent it in. But currently, her status is that she is a visa overstay because she didn't apply um, when it expired November of 2016. So what happens is um, Customs had gone out a couple weeks ago and had actually detained her father and her brother who were living in this country illegally. She says that she hid in the um, closet to try to avoid customs finding them. So the brother and the father are in this country illegally. Customs gets them. She is in this country illegally because she hasn't applied or at least hadn't approved in a timely fashion, gotten her visa to um, continue. So what she does the other day is she attends a a press conference uh, where – you know, she's with a bunch of other people, and she, you know, denounces denounces the government and denounces these various immigration raids and things like that. She says, today my father and brother await deportation while I continue to fight this battle as a dreamer to help contribute to this country, which I feel is very much my country. After leaving this news conference, now keep in mind, she is now a visa overstay. After leaving the news conference with her friend, Two law enforcement officers pull her over, and the ICE, the customs people say, we know who you are. They then handcuff her and take her into custody. So the, the way the story is being reported is that her detention has shocked and angered immigrant rights advocates who feared that ICE officials may have retaliated against her for speaking publicly about her case. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, is, is this an outrage? You have this woman who's been in this country since she was the age of seven. The condition of her being in this country is that she has to essentially re-up her, her visa every two years. She doesn't do it. She lets it expire in November of 2016. And now, yes, she shows up at this press conference after her father and brother have been detained. She denounces the evil immigration people. And now she gets picked up. Is this an outrage, or does this lady have nobody but herself to blame for this situation? And should immigration officials essentially ignore situations like this? We have somebody who's overstayed their visa. We know she didn't comply with the rules. Should they have let her go, or was it reasonable to arrest her? And now we'll see what happens. I mean, she's being detained. They will have to decide, you know, where we go next. But she and she's outraged that she was arrested in the first place. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Was this an example of an egregious, outrageous overreach by immigration officials, or were they just doing their job? Ten seventeen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Bucks continue their homestand tomorrow against the LA Clippers. We've got the broadcast live from the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Our coverage starts with Buck shots at six forty tomorrow evening. Susan in Waterford. Susan, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. A little bit of a cold, but I'm going to get through it. Now, tell me, All right. okay, should we be outraged that should we out, be outraged that this woman overstayed her visa and now has been arrested by immigration? No, I feel that we have to have rules and laws, and she didn't follow them. And uh, the immigration workers are just doing their job. 
Yeah. So I believe she should be deported. Yeah, see, Susan, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was, let's say I was... I was living in Spain, for example, on, on a visa, and I knew that visa expired in November of 2016. I, I got to tell you, I would make sure starting in, I don't know, May, June, or July of 2016, I did everything I could to get that visa re up. And if I'm still here four or five months later, and the authorities come and they grab me because I haven't done what I'm supposed to do, I'm not going to be whining about it. It's on me, it seems. Yeah, I agree with you totally, Jeff. Yeah, now thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of, of parallels. It's kind of like, all right, let's say all right, I've, I've got a passport. And let, the passports are good, I think, for, what, 10 years now? So let's say, I mean, what you do, if you know you're going to be traveling overseas, um, or you might need it six months before the passport expires, a year before the passport expires, you start thinking about that. So you travel overseas, your passport is expired, then you have problems getting back in the country. Well, who, who is that? Who is to blame for that? In this particular case, you would have thought that this would have been a priority. And then if the lady decides that, okay, she's going to go give the speech and she's going to denounce, denounce the fact that her father and brother have been picked up because they're here uh, illegally, maybe before she Maybe before she went public with her story, maybe she would have gotten her situation taken care of. 414-799-1620. That's the uh, Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Steve in Burlington. Steve, good morning. Hey, morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, should we be outraged that Customs picked up this lady? No. I think this lady just needs help. She needs help getting on the boat that's leaving. Yeah. I'm really fed up with hearing how many people have been protesting, and it seems like most of them probably are here illegally that are protesting it, yeah. and we're doing nothing about it. Well, and this visa overstay, Steve, I mean, this this is something that has bothered me, like I say, since 9-11. We just do not do, and we haven't done a good job, even since 9-11, of tracking people who come in legally, get legal permission to stay for a few months or you know, however long they last, or two years or whatever, and then just disappear into the, the woodwork of the country. We, you, you, you've got to follow the rules. And in this right. case, it would have been easy enough for this lady. She probably could have gotten an extension if she wanted to. She just... For whatever reason, she said, well, I was having trouble coming up with the money. Well, that should be a priority of, of yours if you want to stay in the country. Yeah, everybody knows when we have to pay our taxes. Yeah, yeah, as it, soon as you don't pay your taxes, you got a problem. Right, exactly. Okay, thanks. Your, your driver's license expires, okay? Your, your driver's license expires. You decide that you're going to continue to keep driving on an expired license. You are taking risks. One of those risks are that if you get pulled over you're going to be in more trouble. Now, it just it seems to me that, first of all, it's my personality type is I wouldn't be driving around on an expired driver's license, but if I'm in another country and I want to stay in that other country and I know in order to stay in that other country, what I have to do is I have to apply for this, and there's no question she knew it. She had done it on two separate occasions. I'm not going to be too sympathetic if... She comes out publicly, you know, denounces immigration, and then they say, well, by the way, um, your visa has expired months ago. Sorry. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Michael in West Bend. Michael, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Point of information. I don't believe a passport is usable within six months of... Yeah, you could uh, be right. But of your travel for exactly, for exactly the reason I was talking about. 
As far as the issue you're discussing, I think that it has been so many decades since we have enforced our immigration laws that people now think they have an entitlement to come here anytime they want to legally or illegally. And then even if they come in legally, stay as long as they want and that there's not going to be consequences. Yeah. Right. It's it's largely our fault for not doing what Japan does. Japan says Japan is for Japanese and nobody can immigrate Mm -hmm. there. And uh, that's the problem we face now. We're going to have to change it. Yeah. Thanks. Look, again, I'm not, this isn't a discussion about legal or illegal immigration. This is a discussion about people who come into this country on a visa or whatever, get to stay, and then decide that they're not going to do what they're required to do in order to stay legally. And then they end up whining about it. Now, I've never gone to another country on a visa, but when I've talked about related topics on the radio before, I've I've always gotten phone calls from people who would say, you know, I was was in Ireland or I was in Australia on, on a visa for a couple months, and I overstayed by two days, and I had the cops knocking on the door. They knew where I was, and they, they told me I, I had to either make arrangements to get the visa extended or I had to leave the country. All right, that's, that is the way most countries operate, not just disappear into the woodwork. And if this lady decides that she wants to be public and she wants to denounce the fact that her father and her brother have been picked up, go with God. She has the right to do it. But if she decides that she's going to, when her own situation is such that she's in this country illegally now because she has overstayed her visa, if she decides she wants to go public, and this would be what we in law enforcement would call the low-hanging fruit. All right, immigration says, well, wait, we, we've been looking for this woman. We were trying to get her a few weeks ago. She was apparently hiding in a closet. Well, okay, if you want to come out of the closet, as it were, fine. That's the consequence that you suffer. Pete in Waukesha. Pete, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Pete. you got to turn down your radio. Pete? Okay, got to let Pete go. If you call in, we're, we're, we have a seven-second delay, so if the radio is up, you hear yourself and me, seven seconds of delay, and it drives both of us crazy. Carol in Madison. Carol, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, I believe part of this is America's fault that we've gotten a little lax on this. More than I'm a little. More to, than a little, yeah, by the I way. Know. Yeah. I'm trying to be nice. No, more than a little. Right. <laughs> Other countries are not like this. I mean, I, I can't remember where it was. I read an article. Two Americans were traveling. Their visas were up, or, or their, their you know visas like this were up, and within three days they were picked up, and yep. that was done. There yep. was there's no, and nobody in that country was appalled. It was like, hey, this is business as usual, and people are kind of, I don't know how, like monkey see monkey do. Like your previous caller said, they've learned that in America. You can come over, let your visa expire, and we're not going to do anything yep. about it. Yeah, and of course, I guess one of the things that's so frustrating to me, Carol, and I'll keep going back to this 9-11 thing, I mean, that that's what 9-11 was. It was people who came into this country on student visas or whatever and just disappeared into the country. And, and it is stunning that of all the things we've talked about toughening up since 9-11, we, we haven't toughened up the, the way we track people from coming into the country. And I, I'm not saying this woman is a terrorist, but, okay, you overstay your visa, there's consequences of that. Exactly. I mean, and just the fact, and, and in an everyday life, because you've commented on this, there's consequences for your actions. If she was hiding in a closet, she knew she did something wrong. Sure. This sure. just didn't spring up on her. She knew it was expiring. She chose not to do anything. There's a consequence for your actions, and that is you're going home. 
Right, exactly. No, or thanks, or at least you're going to be arrested. You're going to be detained while the immigration judge. Now she's got a bunch of lawyers who are arguing that okay, well, you know, we should make an exception for her, and you should grant her a continuous. That that's fine. All right, I'll, I'll let I'll let the legal system figure out whether or not they want to reissue her another two year permit to stay or not. But am I going to be outraged about the fact that she was arrested? I don't think so. Ten twenty seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A judge has ordered the release of the Orlando nightclub shooter's widow just days before her trial is set to begin. Do you think that's the right decision? Scafidi and Billstad have the latest, and they'll get your reaction. Tune in at 2.07 today. Lots of stuff uh, coming up on my program still. Just a couple minutes. Uh, new survey out says that only one in five black students who enroll at UWM graduates within six years. That is an appalling number. But the question is, who is to blame? Is it UWM's fault or is there other fault? We will discuss it. 11.05 this morning, we'll be talking to retiring WTMJ chief meteorologist John Milan. And, of course, at 11.35, as we do every Thursday, it's Pop Culture Corner. We put aside some of the heavy lifting and have a little bit of fun. You can listen to the show, of course, live, but we also podcast every program. You can download the podcast, the app at WTMJ.com. Check that all out. Hey, if you live in Germantown, you, you want to be on the alert. Uh, the report is that Tuesday, 23 vehicles, 23 vehicles in the village of Germantown, while they were parked in people's driveways, were vandalized. Vandals apparently punctured 23 tires on 23 vehicles in a residential area of Germantown. 23 vehicles. Go figure. 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Our, our new Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is just another way that you can participate and interact with the show. Same number, 414-799-1620, but you can now text as well. Um, I, I love some of these, this input. Years ago in Atlanta, this is what somebody writes, I saw an exotic dancer. Anytime you get texts that include exotic dancer, it's going to get my attention. Years ago in Atlanta, I saw an exotic dancer give an interview on TV complaining about a proposed law change and asking where else a woman like her could make $50,000 a year tax-free. Oops. Now, if the IRS were to take note and investigate her, would she have a complaint? Same thing for the woman who was deported. Yes, I completely and totally agree. All right. I've been waiting all day to discuss this story with you. The graduation rate for black students at UW-Milwaukee is horrible, absolutely horrible. Report that was released yesterday um, ranks UW-Milwaukee among 21 four-year colleges and universities that actually have, have just an appalling rate of success for black students. Get this, only one in five black students who enroll full-time at UW-Milwaukee, graduates in six years. And the completion gap between white and black students is 24.3 percentage points. So it's it's not just lots of people enroll at UWM and don't graduate. It's that a disproportionate amount of black students enroll at UWM and don't graduate. So it, it's it's a worse problem. Now, for its point, UWM um, has an interesting position. They say, we recognize that the gap in graduation rates between African-American and white students is a challenge. 
Um, this is what they say, though. Many of our students come from Milwaukee, which has one of the highest poverty rates in the nation. They say the link between economic privilege and educational success is well documented. Many of our students must take time out from school to work, reducing our six-year graduation rate. So essentially what, what they say is that the majority, a good proportion of the students that they get come from the Milwaukee public schools. That's about 54.7%. So what they are suggesting is that because of challenges and the way the students are prepared, that they really can't expect to do much better. So they're kind of fobbing this off on, well, we're, we're, we're admitting these kids, but they, they, they're not in a position to succeed. It's not our fault. All right. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. UWM admits a lot of people, including a lot of African-American kids, and I think a lot of white kids probably too, who come from the Milwaukee public school system. The graduation rate is staggeringly bad, which says that lots of people are dropping out, not completing their degrees. Is is this a fault of the people? Is this a fault of, is it people who aren't being properly prepared, who are admitted to school and are guaranteed to fail? Or is this... Or is this something that the colleges and universities need to do a better job if they make the decision of admitting kids to make sure that they're going to be able to stay in school? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line and the Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. All right, do you buy the idea that essentially kids aren't being properly prepared by MPS, so it's no surprise that they will fail when they're admitted to UWM? Or is this evidence of a more, I don't know, perhaps a deeper and more fundamental problem? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Toll and Talk Line. Well, Hondo is lining up to call. So let me just tell you this. I I have no doubt, I have no doubt that there that there are challenges and I have no doubt that a lot of, of kids are perhaps coming out of high school ill-prepared to, to go on and do college work. But, and, and this is an important but, if the schools are going to admit these, these kids, don't the schools have, the colleges, have a responsibility to say, okay, we know these are high-risk students that we're admitting. Don't they have a responsibility to figure out and to tailor plans to give them a better chance to succeed instead of just simply saying, well, you know, they had tough economic conditions and they weren't properly prepared, then why admit them in the first place? Let's start with Keith and Fond du Lac. Keith, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hi. Um, Hi I was involved in city government. I was a police officer and had lots of involvement with UP, with MPS. Right. And there's definitely struggles there. I do believe there's a correlation between the failure rate that's directly related to MPS. Right. I, I do MPS not MPS. properly preparing kids to, to go on for college. That's what you're saying. Correct. Okay. I, I think we should applaud UWM for allowing access, um, but I, I don't know what the solution is. Mm-hmm. It, it's tough. But it's tough. I graduated from UWM. It's a commuter school. Right. It's, it's, it's not typical 
uh, it's not a typical college, but they allow entry to lots and lots of people, and it's kind of up to you to see your way through. And yeah, I, I don't think we can yell at UWM. I guess my question would be, if if you have a large group of what I'm going to call at-risk students, you know, the, the students who, be because of their preparation or whatever, the chances of them succeeding aren't necessarily that great. If you're going to admit them, do you as the school have any obligation to kind of say, okay, we're going to try to figure out ways to make sure we can get these kids through the system, or do you just throw them in and let them see if they sink or swim? There are, it's, I graduated in 1987, so right. you know, things are different. But there were counselors, there are things you know, that are available yeah. for students, but I, you do have to, to have the knowledge to seek them out. And I think coming out of MPS, maybe you, you don't know yeah. how to seek them out. It's, yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, Keith, I mean, I have, I have several friends. I know several people who graduated from UWM, and I also know a couple people who went to UWM and kind of got lost in that, that whole thing that you're talking about. You know, it, was, it, it didn't cost that much money to go to school. It was a commuter school. They got tied up with, you know, other things in life going on. It was easy to drop classes, and next thing you know, it's five or six years later, and you're really no closer to your degree. And that, that wasn't black kids. That was, that was white kids, you know, friends of mine who got caught up in that whole thing. So it, it is, you're right, it is part of the problem of the commuter school, especially if you have people who might not be as academically driven, if you know what I mean, as some other people. Yeah. Now, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Um, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If you do, See, here's, here's where I come down. I have no doubt that the kids, that, you're, that they're taking flyers on kids, and there's kids that are being admitted from MPS and perhaps from other schools as well, who who the prospects of success are not great. They are not perhaps prepared as much as they should be for the college experience. I guess the one thing I do think, though, is that if you're going to, if you're going to admit people, whether it's through a diversity program or regardless, if you're going to admit people, I do think you have to be mindful of the fact that, all right, we're taking these at-risk students. Well, we, we can't just bring them in and throw them to the wolves. What good does it do to admit them? Here, we, we can blame, hey, we can say, hey, we, we've, we've admitted these people, but then, you know, after they, they spend a year or two of their life, you know, spinning their wheels, they're dropping out of classes, they're no closer to graduation. Have you really done anybody any favors? Let's talk to um, Sid in Delafield. Sid, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Well, uh, as a former college coach, uh, actually at Carroll University, um, we know uh, I've been through the at-risk kids. I right. recruited them. The university has let them in, and they have failed out. I've also seen the other spectrum where the kids have come in and done very well. Right. The universities are designed to help those at-risk kids. The problem is the high schools, even MPS or even even any of the, the private high schools, they're not really educating these young men and women to seek out and get that help. Right. So a lot of these guys don't, a lot of these kids, left, a lot of the athletes that I had, do not have those resources or knowledge on how to get that help. So yes, they are going to fail out at a very alarming rate. Sid, so let me ask you this. You're talking about, you were a college coach, so you're talking about athletes who've been recruited and all. What about the kid that's not an athlete, the, the you know, MPS graduate who just kind of comes into the system as, as part of the herd, as it were, who doesn't have the athletic support system that's there and the tutors and all those different types of things? Do you think it's easier for that kid to get lost in the system? 
I want to say I, I want to say no, not with the day and age of uh, of the technology that we have and the universities are set up with such an infrastructure of the the older the older students right. studying up and helping the younger students. There, and I'm not I can't speak for UWM, but sure. I know I can speak for for Carol because I was there for four years. They have an they have a structure there that is designed. It's a student it's a student academic center, and right. it's for all students. It's not for athletes. It's right. for all students. And what they do is they set you can go and set up with any of your counselors, but you have to go to your counselor right. to set these times up. And they will find a student in your major that is a junior or senior that you can take the time and get to know the system. Right. Right, right. And so you have kind of that mentoring type of thing, that, that buddy exactly. system. Yeah, no, I and, I. and it's not for athletes always. Right. And see, I, I guess here's, here's, here is the thing that it's sort of the big picture stuff. I do not believe that colleges and universities do students a favor by admitting students who can't do the work. And this is, this has always kind of been my beef with some of the affirmative action programs. And don't, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not generalizing. I'm, I know I'm generalizing here, so don't barrage me with the emails. But if okay, getting admitted to Harvard isn't your Harvard can admit you, but if you don't have the background to do the work at the level that people at Harvard are doing the different work, you're, you're going to you're going to fail out. That that's and that's that is just what the reality is. You know, water has to find its own level. So I don't believe that any college, whether it's Harvard or Yale, or MIT, or Marquette, or UWM, or whatever. I don't believe they do students a favor by admitting students who, based on their academic accomplishments or lack thereof in high school, have pretty much demonstrated that their chances for success are, are minimal. You know, if you're if you're reading at an eighth grade level, and all of a sudden, you know, you get admitted into to college, well, okay, you know, chances are you're not going to be able to do the work. So the colleges, I don't think, are doing – now, there's a couple issues. Obviously, you've got, you know, a fair beef at the high school saying, you know, why are you graduating people that are reading at an eighth grade level? That's a fair criticism. Another fair criticism, though, I think is of the colleges, why are you admitting people who you know objectively aren't going to be able to do the work? And if you make the decision that you're going to admit them, then do you have to provide some sort of, like our last caller was talking about, some sort of support network to at least give them a fighting chance? Because if you don't do that, you're going to be faced with these numbers. I don't think it's fair for UWM to completely dump this off on MPS at the same time, because I think, again, you're admitting, quote unquote, at risk students in large numbers. You got to know that if you're going to do that, you have to provide more services. I also appreciate, though, there's a problem with the high schools about producing kids that aren't qualified to do the college age work. And some of it falls on the on the kids themselves. It's just it's easy to get lost at big commuter schools like UWM unless you have a certain amount of drive and. The truth is, college isn't necessarily right for everyone. It's 1048. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten fifty-two. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's one of the most talked about parts of town, and now it's getting national attention. Gene Miller reflects on the former Park East Freeway in its latest blog that's up now on Wisconsin's Morning News, uh, the Wisconsin Morning News section of WTMJ.com. Yeah, check it out. Finally, 
for years and years and years, the Park East was, of course, a, a moonscape. We were promised when John Norquist orchestrated the tearing down of the Park East, there was going to be all this development, and it's taken a long, long time, but finally the Park East starting to develop, and that's, of course, good for the community. All right, this is, this is actually kind of scary. Journal Sentinel Editorial Board gets it right. Maybe this is like the blind squirrel finding the acorn. Um, you know, yesterday and last week, we were talking about this story involving how screwed up the Milwaukee County pension system is. And and the reports were you had the, the former head of the pension system who had to resign last week uh, because they they have they have these problems. I see. I just do not understand how this can occur on a regular basis. And apparently, you know, they have been having problems that go back, you know, more than a decade of of some retirees who get overpaid, some who get underpaid. The the straw that broke the camel's back was apparently in 2014. They identified some woman who was getting too much in her monthly pension. Head of the pension system found out about it and did nothing about it. They, they didn't correct the, the payment. They didn't make arrangements to get the money back. They just continued to pay this retiree an overpayment to the tune now of $140,000. And now they're struggling with, okay, how, how do we collect this money that we've overpaid to the retiree? And this is apparently just the tip of the iceberg. The woman who retired or was forced to resign or whatever, defends herself by saying, yeah, I missed this one, but you don't understand how screwed up the system is. I, I mean, I'm like, it's it's not, you, you've got the, the dam that has 40 different leaks in it, and I'm running around plugging all of them, and I plug 39 of them, and yes, I missed the 40th one, but, but, but it demonstrates, again, how screwed up the system is. It now comes out that um, there was a 2014 report to the Internal Revenue Service that documented a lot of this, and this was hidden by County Executive Chris Abley. It wasn't made public. A credit to where credit is due. Journal Sentinel ended up apparently getting wind of this. They filed an open records request, and it was only after the open records request that the county executive decided to make this this public. This was clearly an attempt by the Abley administration to cover up the problems that were going on in the pension system. And, and some of them, I mean, Abley's been in since 2011. Um, some of them go back to when Scott Walker was, you know, the county executive. This all started, I think, probably with Tom Amott. But the bottom line of all this is Milwaukee County is the only government institution, I believe, in the state that, that has its own pension system. Everybody else is under the state pension system. And while not perfect, you don't have problems like this. And so, as I was saying yesterday, as Milwaukee County Supervisor Sheldon Wasserman, proving, again, so every once in a while the blind squirrel finds an acorn, has been saying, and now as the Journal Sentinel editorial board is saying, it's time for Milwaukee County to just get out of the pension business. They have demonstrated over the course of the last two decades they don't know what they're doing. Milwaukee County government is a clown car act, and it doesn't matter whether you're looking at the county executive, it doesn't matter whether you're looking at the county board, or it doesn't matter whether you're looking at a lot of the institutions of county government. It's a clown car act, and the sooner you take responsibility away from whatever clown car we're looking at, the better you're going to be. And for the future of the people, the employees who are entitled to pensions, who depend on that money, you want that money to be there. You want to make sure that you're getting the right amount of payment, whether it's, you know, you don't want overpayments, you don't want underpayments. 
if I were a retiree in Milwaukee County, I would have absolutely no confidence in the pension system. It's long past time to get it out of the hands of Milwaukee County and get it to people who know what they're doing, which would be the folks who run the state pension system. Um, we're going to be talking to John Milan in less than 10 minutes. I've got a lot of questions to ask John about his career, which his last, uh, his last broadcast was last night. And Pop Culture Corner comes up at 1135. Stick around. It's 1057. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yesterday was a very sad day here at, at WTMJ. See, I consider myself to be an old school man of the world, a renaissance guy, and there's not too many of us left. And, and yesterday, one of the true renaissance guys, old school man of the world, John Milan, did his last <laughs> weather forecasts. And John joins us. John, good morning. Hey, good morning, and it was very sad. <laughs> now, Okay, well, well, why not stick around for another couple of years then, my friend? Well, that, because my family won't let me. Yeah. <laughs> I do love what I do. I do, and I cherish my time here in Milwaukee because the people of Milwaukee and southeast Wisconsin are just the best. They really are. Let's talk a little bit about the career. When, when yeah. did you know you wanted to be a meteorologist? Uh, sitting on a door gunner's seat in Vietnam, flying around rain shafts, tropical rain shafts, uh, like you were flying around a shower, <laughs> you know, like a, a shower head in your in your shower when you're taking a shower. I mean, you can actually, it's so well defined because the rain is so heavy, and I'm like, what is this, you know? Uh, so actually, when I was in service, uh, the love for weather when I was in Southeast Asia, which was crazy, crazy weather, uh, monsoon climate, that, that started it all for me. When were you in country, John? In Vietnam? Yeah. Uh, 1969 through 1971. Okay, so you come back in 71, and then you, you went to pursue your, your you went to college for meteorology. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I had a little break there with a job, and uh, three or four months later, I said, "Why am I not in school?" So I enrolled in the uh, spring semester, and uh, in five and a half years, uh, with the help of the GI Bill and the help of this was in Illinois, and I didn't have to pay tuition because the states gave Vietnam vets. Uh, that kind of benefit, no tuition. So uh zipped through school in about five and a half years with my master's in meteorology. And really the love, we always laugh about it, no matter who I'm working with, from all the way back to Paul Joseph and uh, uh, Jim Ott and, and the current crew of great forecasters we have. They always wanted to be a weather person from childhood. You know, they had the observations stations in their backyard and stuff. Not me. It started in the service. You know, John, one of the interesting things, the way, just as a consumer of, of weather reporting that's evolved, it, whether the guys that were, the guys and gals that were on TV back in the day were never meteorologists. They were sort of news personalities. That, that's really right. evolved. Now it's meteorology. Yes. And, you know, Jeff, that's how I got my job. I was teaching part-time physical science uh, classes at Triton Junior College uh, in River Grove, Illinois, suburb of Chicago, and uh, this job came up at WLS-TV in Chicago, uh, the ABC station there, for a producer of weather. And I, th- I thought, why not give this a shot? You know, it's the communications field. I wanted to be a teacher. And uh, that's how I got into it, because I was writing all the forecasts and producing all the maps for the on-air guys who did not have degrees. So how many... So that kind of got me into it. How many years on-air in Milwaukee? Thirty. I'm one month shy of 37 years. I started on <laughs> April 7th, 80, and obviously it's March 1st was my last day, so about and, a month shy. And how many years at TMJ? 
Uh, 23, almost 24. What are some of the big changes that you've seen in the way the, the way weather men, weather women, the way weather is covered? Um, mm-hmm. what, what, what's some of the big changes? Well, I'll tell you what, you know the old joke, you know you guys are only 50% right, or you guys only, you know, you flip a coin and 50-50 for your forecast. Back when I first started, we had no computer models. We had very little tools to help us. We had couple of maps twice a day which were upper air maps when they let the balloons go up and if there was a storm in the pacific ocean the only way we could see it was on these uh drawn maps hand-drawn upper air analysis maps and we would have to physically through our own knowledge of meteorology try to trace that into the future and our long-range forecasts were pretty bad back then and so uh today the biggest biggest change which makes us so much more accurate into the future are the computer models and they didn't start till really the mid 1980s and didn't really get perfected really it's not perfected but very good until the mid 1990s that has been the the biggest and then the second biggest is uh, satellite and radar when i first started on the air in, in 1980 we had black and white radar black and white satellites but they only came out on the half hour. So wow. <laughs> think, of, think of the time lapses we show now with real-time satellite uh, data where we could really pinpoint the movement. We had to wait a half hour to get the next uh, picture of a radar or a satellite. Is there a particular challenge to forecasting weather in a place in like southeastern Wisconsin mm-hmm. as opposed to San Diego where it's 75 degrees and yeah. sunny 325 days out of the year? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, for instance, any any West Coast city, San Diego is very there's a, it's very unique because it pretty much is the same weather every day. You'll maybe maybe thirty days out of the year you have a slight challenge, uh, but even Los Angeles and into San Francisco, you're a satellite forecaster because think about it. There's nothing west of you, and that's mostly where the weather comes from, other than water, right. <laughs> where we have a whole country with observations and data. So um, you have to be a pretty good satellite forecaster to work the West Coast, and you can work in San Diego probably without a degree because um, it's that easy. Right. Here, in the middle of the country, you have big blasts of cold and big surges of moisture from the Gulf of Mexico and jet streams over you pretty much uh, the whole year round. Half of the or a portion of the year it's the subtropical jet. The rest of the year it's the polar jet. Things are moving very, very quickly. And then add Lake Michigan to it the microclimate, just to mess up what's going on everywhere else. So, for instance, on a, a spring day, Jeff, we always look out to La Crosse and uh, in the Twin Cities, and they're forecasting a high of 70, and we're forecasting a high of 38 because of Lake Michigan. So you got not only the macro-scale climate, you got the micro-scale climate. So it's, a, it's, a, it's the best challenge for any forecaster, any meteorologist. I'm sure it's got to be a little bit frustrating, too, because you, you, you make your forecast, you make your prediction, and then the storm tracks 20 miles one way or 20 miles the other way, and that's the difference between a foot of snow and a little bit of rain or something like that. Without a doubt. And uh, you can ask any any of the folks in our office, you know, Brian Goddard and his, Brian Zamsky and Jesse and uh, Scott Steele. We have a standard rule, and even the weather service will back me up on this rule. We don't give the snowfall projections until we're at least 48 hours from the storm. Now, a week uh, in front will say there's a storm coming and it could bring some snow, but we don't give that quantitative number. 
because people remember that number. And if you say we could get a foot of snow eight days <laughs> early, uh, when you finally get to the storm and two days before that we go, nope, two to four inches, they'll say, what, what, what happened to the foot? You right. know, it's impossible to give a really accurate quantitative number, even with the computer models today, until you're about 48 hours. Uh, from from the storm, and then we feel very comfortable put those numbers. So uh, there are certain things we can do, and certain things we know as trained uh, meteorologists with degrees that we can't do, and so we stick to certain rules just to keep our credibility and to make sure the people get as accurate as we can of a forecast. We're talking, of course, to John Milan. John, I, I, you've, you've over the, the your long and storied career, you've covered lots of different weather events. Are there yeah. one or two that stick out in your mind? Certainly, um, uh, the, the Bruce City floods, and you know where we're located, Jeff. Uh, right. We were right there when it was happening. So Brian Goddard and I, we double-teamed on that one radio and TV, and, uh, and that afternoon of July, uh, the rain was coming down on our rain gauge. Even the National Weather Service kept asking us for reports, and the rain gauge was going up an inch every 15 to 20 minutes mm -hmm. until 11 inches fell. And you remember the pictures. Oh, 2010. No, I, 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 rem I remember lots of flooded basements. Not at my house, yes. but yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And the big sinkhole on, like, Oakland Avenue. Oh, yeah, right. I remember that very well. Rushing rushing river right. that Oakland Avenue was. Uh, and that was just, and we're, we're constantly on there. We, we were on the air for four straight hours with that. The other one, the Oakfield tornado was a monster tornado in 1996, and we were on the air wall-to-wall -wall coverage for that. Uh, and that was an E5, or consider EF5 now in, in terminology today. But um, the tornado that hit Stoughton back in 2005 spawned seven tornadoes, smaller ones, that same supercell in Jefferson County. And we were on the air from about 7 o'clock when someone ran into the newsroom and said, hey, do you know anything about this? There's, like, paper and debris falling across Waukesha and Milwaukee <laughs> County. And I knew there was a tornado warning for Dane County, which we is outside of our viewing area, and I said to everybody, get on, we're getting on, this. this is bad. And it was, it was a bad tornado that hit Stoughton, but it was powerful enough that it was dropping pieces of paper across Milwaukee and Waukesha County, and then we stayed on until about 11 o'clock, about four straight hours, because it spawned seven tornadoes, and we were pinpointing those tornadoes down to the street, and I received so many messages from people saying, hey, you said on Highway 18 we should be in the base, where we did, and took off our roof and knocked down our fences and things like that. So, you know, you get a feeling of, hey, it actually works sometimes, and I did the job to keep people safe. John, what does the future look like? Okay, you're not going to be coming in in the afternoon, not going to be doing the evening uh, mm -hmm. for, uh, shows. What does the future look like for John Milan? I know probably some probably some horse racing watching and maybe some golf, I would have <laughs> guessed, huh? Well, you just summed <laughs> up my future. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, actually, when I'm going, there's no, there isn't a race. I think the closest horse racetrack, uh, like, you know, at least we have Arlington Park here in Northern Illinois, uh, is is Pimlico in Baltimore. Sure. There's really not a lot of horse racing, but of course, you know, we could, you know, computers <laughs> take care of that. There's problem. ways we can do that, yeah. So, yeah, so what's the future is. hold? <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to move where my family is. They're in Carolina Beach, North Carolina. It's near Wilmington. Um, and for right now, uh, I have no professional plans at all. I'm just going to settle in with the, you know, family and the kids down there and the grandchild and, uh, play a lot of golf uh, and uh, see how it goes. And then there, I have ideas of doing mm -hmm. some things, some speaking things and uh, that kind of thing for the future. But right now I'm, I'm 
I'm, I've never stopped working since I was about 10 years old growing up on the south side of Chicago. We didn't have any money, and, uh, you know, if you wanted something, you worked for it. So I want to see what it's like not to work. Well, I, I, that, that sounds great to me. By, and by the way, if, if you're relocating to that area of North Carolina, my guess is that you're, from time to time you might be doing your own hurricane watches or things like that. Well, you know what? Uh, first of all, you know I'll be on my computer every day uh, challenging the forecast because that's what I like to do because I always like to figure out the puzzle. So uh, I'll be doing that, I'm sure. But um, I told our news director, Janet Hunley, I am taking my earpiece, and you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. Where you, you get to listen to the newscast. And when the hurricanes uh, move up and they're near me, I could be your reporter. Just let me know. I'd be very willing to go out there and do that for him. Well, John, I know I speak for the entire listening and viewing audience. Um, you've been a big part of our lives around here for a long time, and I, I, we wish you the very best in retirement. Um, sorry to see you go. You're going to be missed, but the very best well, in retirement. You. Well, it's, it, it's just, again, one of the things about this market in particular is you have people who are institutions. John Milan, you were an institution, and um, again, you're, you're, going to be, you're, you're going to be missed, but uh, thank you for a job well done over the decades. Oh, Jeff, thank you very much, and, I'm, and I have to also say, You've been a great colleague, and I always enjoy. We, our, our schedules are a little askew. Right. We don't always run into each other, but I always enjoy running into you because we always have something in common to talk about. <laughs> That's great, John Milan. Thanks for spending some time for me this morning with me this morning. I appreciate. It. We're going to miss you, pal. Oh, uh, thank you so much, and I'm going to miss. I'm certainly going to miss a lot of the folks here in Southeast Wisconsin. My wife and I have had a great run here, and we love it here. Take care. Thanks again, John. That's All right, John bye. John Milan. His last broadcast was yesterday. He is, I, I, I mean this sincerely, and this comes, my, again, my perspective is I consider myself to be an old-school man of the world, a Renaissance guy. John Milan, John Milan is one of those as well. He will be missed. It's 1121, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Packers head coach Mike McCarthy would love to have his own free agents back in Green Bay for another season, but who's really in line to come back? Get the details on Sports Central at 6.15 tonight. And as I mentioned, when we do these promos, uh, if you aren't able to listen to Sports Central at 6.15, you can nevertheless listen to, you can download the podcast. If you go to our podcast page at WTMJ.com, you can download and listen to all my shows that we podcast, all the Sports Central shows. And you can also hear a number of podcasts from voices that you, you don't typically hear on the radio. It's part of this initiative we have, and I certainly invite you to check it out. I know Scafidi and Billstead do this segment every once in a while where they call there ought to be a law, your chance to kind of call in and say things that ought to be a law. Every once in a while, I think there's things that don't need to be a law. Every presidential candidate, with the exception of Donald Trump, since going back to Nixon, has released their tax returns. Donald Trump made the decision he wasn't going to release his tax returns. During the campaign, he said it's because they, he was under audit. Well, okay, that's that's BS. I mean, there's nothing, just because you're under audit doesn't mean that you can't release your tax returns if you chose to do so. And now that he's been elected president, they're pretty much saying, even when the audit's over, we're not going to make them public. This was a, a campaign issue, and for some people, particularly people who didn't like Trump, it was a huge issue. For others, they, they didn't care. It was not a voting issue, and he ended up winning. So now he's apparently not going to disclose his taxes. My personal theory on why he's doing it is because given the nature of his businesses, 
My guess is he has paid little or no federal income tax over over the years, just whether it's deductions or exemptions or, or whatever. And that disclosure would be somewhat embarrassing. I don't believe there's any evidence that Donald Trump has been involved in criminal wrongdoing. My guess is that his tax returns get scrutinized incredibly, incredibly closely. But he's decided he, he doesn't want to do it. Anyhow, Lindsey Graham, who's a Republican from South Carolina, is out saying that he is considering introducing a bill which would make it a law requiring that all presidential candidates should be required to disclose their tax returns as a condition for running for office. Now, let me take a step back here. Do I, do I, I, think, do I think it's a good thing for a candidate to do to, to again, show you know, there, if there's any doubt at all about whether or not there's conflicts of interest or whatever? Yeah, I think it's a good idea for people to disclose their tax returns. But at the same time, do I think that there ought to be a law to this effect? And the answer would be absolutely no. If you as a candidate decide that you don't want to disclose your tax returns, that is a campaign issue. And people can make it an issue, and then the voters can decide. I also wonder how far do you carry this? Do we say that everybody, if we're going to say everybody that's going to run for president needs to make their tax returns public, then everybody who runs for U.S. Senate and everybody who runs for Congress, win or lose, you have to take your to make your tax returns public. You know, what about governors? What about, you know, state representatives how how far do you carry this and how do you balance an individual's right of privacy especially in a situation where maybe you have a working spouse and you know that that working spouse well okay it's one thing to disclose your income but do you really want to disclose your spouse's income and all those type of things is this something that people would like to see i get it is it an issue perhaps from a campaign perspective does it need to be a law I don't think so. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, it's that time of the week. We do this every Thursday during the 1130 segment, Pop Culture Corner. We're going to have some fun today. We also live stream this on Facebook. So if you go to facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, we're going to put this up there. You'll be able to watch us as we do it. You'll be able to participate as well through Facebook. So it's going to be a lot of fun. That's coming up, 1128. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eleven thirty-six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Glenn sends an email. I work at Timmer. I worked at the Timmerman Tower. That would be Timmerman Airport in the mid seventies. Bill Carlson had a Beechcraft Bonanza there, and he would occasionally take his plane and fly out west of the Mississippi to observe what was happening out there, and would somehow use that information for his evening broadcast. Now, Hondo, you grew up around here. You remember Bill Carlson? No. Okay. Before there was John Milan, there was Paul Joseph, and then there was Bill Carlson. I mean, just just a, a perhaps before your time, but just a, a legend. I have this recollection, and it, it might be that this might be one of these like semi true stories, and maybe I'm not remembering it, but I, I swear it was Bill Carlson. Back in those days, the, the, the weather guys would actually do commercials. They, they don't do that anymore, but I swear I remember this. Carlson used to do this commercial for coffee. I want to say it was like butternut coffee or something. And this is, of course, live TV. And what he would do is he would go over and he'd like do the commercial. And of course, nowadays, the news people don't do commercials and things like that. And he'd go over and, and he'd pick up, you know, he, he'd read whatever the commercial is and he'd pick up the can of coffee. It was like a pound of coffee and stuff. And and, I, and again, maybe I'm hallucinating, but I swear, I remember watching one night and they decided to play a practical joke on him and they cut out the bottom of the coffee thing. So he goes over, this is live TV, he goes, he lifts the coffee can up and the coffee just all pours out. I just, 
and maybe I am misremembering that. Maybe this is just an elucidogenic dream from you know my misbegotten past. But I swear I remember when when the when Glenn emailed me about uh, Bill Carlson. That that's my recollection. It was just like, and I seem to remember it being butternut coffee, just going all over the table. And of course, everybody is laughing. Okay, this is the portion of the program we call Pop Culture Corner. We put aside the heavy lifting. We stop talking about the state transportation budget. We stop talking about. Oh, caller confirms my story. So it's okay. All right. See, I wasn't wasn't just completely hallucinating there. I just I I just always remember that whenever I hear Bill Carlson's name, I, I just think of that. This is the portion of the program where we put aside the heavy lifting. We stop talking about okay, what has Donald Trump done or not done, and are the Democrats legitimately outraged or not? And we try to have a little bit of fun. Sometimes we talk about food. Sometimes we talk about cars. Sometimes we talk about sports. Sometimes TV. Sometimes books. It just kind of depends. Um, Today, we're going back to one of my favorite things, which is movies. And you had the Oscars over the weekend. And, of course, you know, all the controversy involving, you know, the Oscar going to Moonlight as opposed to La La Land or whatever. But before the Oscars, there were another set of awards that were given out. And they're called the Razzies. And what the Razzies are is, in contrast to the Oscars, which are the best performances, the best picture, the best director, the Razzies are... The worst performances in a particular year, the worst movies, the over the winner this year was uh, Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice, which I I did not see it in a theater, although it did a lot of money. A lot of people went out to see it. I, I did try to watch it when it was making its rounds on uh, when it was making the rounds on on pay TV and stuff, the Cinemax, whatever. And I found it to be unwatchable. I just I've not been able to see the entire thing. I, I saw the last 30 minutes, so I kind of know how it ends. But I just I, I found it to be absolutely unwatchable. But lots of people went out, and did it in any event in honor of the Razzies and in honor of the Oscars. What I thought we would do for this morning is, is something I, I like to revisit at time to time. Um, bad movies that you love anyway. A movie that you know is bad, but you love it anyways. And and I'll start off this conversation. I'm embarrassed to admit this. Starship Troopers. Okay, Starship Troopers is, it's a cheesy, terrible movie. But every time it's on, and it seems like it's on an awful lot, I will watch Starship Troopers. I know it's a bad movie, but like a moth to a flame, I am drawn to it. And Oh, good. It's going to be on at 3 o'clock this afternoon. I'm going to make a point of watching it. So in honor of the Oscars, in honor of the Razzies, let's have some fun on Pop Culture Corner today. A bad movie that you love anyway. And maybe the best test of this is you're watching it and your wife, your husband, your significant other walks by and goes, I cannot believe you are watching this thing. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to take your calls. In addition, we're going to be live streaming on Facebook Live, so you can check it out and participate that way as well. And, of course, we have the uh, text line as well. 414-799-1620. It's Pop Culture Corner. Bad movies that you just love anyway. Ways. 1140 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ 1144 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ it's pop culture corner we are live streaming on Facebook facebook.com backslash 620 WTMJ our text line and talk line is 414-799-1620 my producer says I I don't see anything wrong with any of these movies so you're saying bad movies that people like well Okay, Starship Troopers, it's a bad movie, but I, I like it. All right, let's start with Brian in Waukesha. Brian, good morning. Morning. What do you think? A okay, bad movie that you love anyways? Spaceballs. 
Totally yeah. bad movie, but you gotta you gotta watch it every time it's on. Well, right, and and it's funny. It makes you laugh. You feel guilty yep. laughing sometimes, but it's funny. No, I yep. I get it. That's the idea. Um, let's see on our text line. Greg writes, "Starship Troopers is mine." Also, there are a bunch of uh, other ones. Yeah, um, let's see, Mamma Mia. That would be one. Uh, my pick for a bad movie that I get sucked in like a tractor beam every time is any of the Friday the 13th movies. I've kind of avoided that. 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's talk to Kent in Pewaukee. Kent, good morning. Hey, Jeff, good morning. Mine would be uh, Super Troopers. Okay. Not it's Starship a, Troopers. No, Super Troopers. It's about two municipality police departments, I think State Patrol and... Uh, uh, sheriff's department and they're fighting for their position because they're gonna, the state is gonna get rid of one of them. Right. One, right. one group, one municipality and the, and the things they do to each other just to, uh, try and survive and, uh, they break into this big, like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie or the show Trailer Park yep, Boy yep. type, Trailer Park Boy drug raid thing and it just goes on and on and on. It's all, it's about on the same level as Starship Trooper, just one bad thing after another, but it's just, it's like a train wreck. You More, turn it moth off, you to the flame. I, I get it. Ray and Racine. Ray, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Uh, my, my favorite dumb movie has got to be Strange Brew. <laughs> with the McKenzie brothers, right? You betcha. Yeah. I, I didn't realize it was a bad movie until yeah. I watched it with a girlfriend in high school, and yeah. she was like, what the heck did I just watch? And, right. like, and, and why am I dating you if you like this, huh? <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's my, my favorite. No, I mean, you can't go wrong with the McKenzie brothers. Let's talk to Mike in Menominee Falls. Mike, good morning. Hey, Jeff. Hi, uh, mine is uh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Okay, who stars in that? I'm drawing a blank on that. Who stars uh, on that? Peter, Peter Weller, the okay. guy who plays RoboCop. Right, right. Uh, stars. He is, uh, it's, it's very, very, the setup is bizarre, but it's, the, the, the execution is pretty good. He's like a... Combination physicist, neurosurgeon, martial arts master, secret agent, rock star, <laughs> and, uh, and it, 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 you right, and it rolls it all into one. And that was coming out at the same time one. a couple other movies like uh, Flash Gordon and stuff. I think you know. Um, yeah, and no. John Lithgow plays uh, a completely unhinged uh, bad guy in this, which is worth the price of admission alone. If you like John Lithgow as an actor and you haven't seen this movie, I would highly recommend it. It's it's a, it's crazy, but give it a chance. It's it's very funny. Buckaroo Banzai, there you go. Let's talk to Rich in Milwaukee. Rich, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Escape from New York. I hey. think uh, Snake Plissken yeah. and all the other characters are, one, are the best characters in movie history, but the storyline with Air Force One getting hijacked and him having to go in and save the president is just ridiculous. I um it it is um I, I think you can make an argument that that might be Kurt Russell's best movie role ever too. Yeah, I, I believe so. Like <laughs> I, I say, I think Snake Plissken is probably I, one of the best movie characters ever. I, but I, 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 it just went down. Yeah, I I think I mean I again see that would be the perfect thing that I would lump into that category a bad movie that you love nonetheless. I'll give you another one from my uh, treasure trove. Um, it would be Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. With uh, Don Johnson and Mickey Rourke, I and clearly it was a job. It was a thing that they did for the money. But you know what the heck, they did it for the money. Let's talk to um, let's see, Tim in Fond du Lac. Tim, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, hi, mine would be uh, Slapshot with Paul Newman. Oh, oh, I'm so glad you called. <laughs> I, I was on the Hockey Channel. They were showing like a fortieth. Uh, it's the fortieth right. anniversary of Slapshot, and they were showing the making yeah. of it. That's yeah. with the Hanson brothers. I love Slapshot. 
Yeah. It's, I, my wife looks at me like, what are you watching? Yeah. But I, I love it. You know, I can't believe they got Paul Newman to do that movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when, you, when you really, th- I mean, th- th- I mean, it just, I just you know, here's Paul Newman. Here's the guy. He's Cool Hand Luke. He's, you know, all... All the, these other just he was you know cat in a hot tin roof. I mean he, he's this like leading movie star and he plays this kind of aging out you know hockey player. But he's he's absolutely great in that movie. Uh, let's see Napoleon Dynamite on our text line. Um, I still my wife still can't believe I got her to watch it. Yeah, that's kind of uh, that's what happens from time to time. Dumb and Dumber. Now that's not necessarily one of my favorites, but I get it. That would be a bad movie that you would be that you love. Nonetheless, let's see on our Facebook Live. Bill says, "Running Man." Yes, almost any Arnold Schwarzenegger movie would fit into that category. But Running Man, uh, with Richard Dawson, formerly of Hogan's Heroes and uh, Family Feud, uh, that would definitely be one. Nathan on Facebook Live says, "Coneheads." Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Rick in Shorewood. Rick, good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space. <laughs> that that is generally recognized as the worst movie of all time, an Ed Wood movie. Um, but you watch it, huh? You like it? Yes. You know what I like about it is, because, although it's sad that uh, Bell, it's Bella Lugosi's last movie. Right. He's only in a couple shots. He died right. during the movie. But the production value <laughs> is so bad with, with, with the, um, yeah. the scenery. Um, it is incredibly it, cheesy. There's no doubt about it. And 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 uh, the the when Bella Lugosi died. Uh, Edward Jr. had to have uh, his doctor or, or chiropractor play right. uh, play uh, the Lugosi from the back, and it's, right. and it's so. It, but it, 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 it's worth seeing, and it's an ultimate uh, classic. Well, well it, it is, and here, here's what I would recommend: if you've ever seen the Johnny Depp movie Ed Wood, which is uh, Roseanne Arquette, it's a really it's it's a it's a pretty good movie, and it did a lot of business. And the last half of that movie is about the making of Plan Nine for Outer Space. You really should go watch Plan Nine for Outer Space because you'd understand that they weren't taking too many liberties in that Johnny Depp movie. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Bad movies that you love. Ross in Cudahy. Ross, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, a lot of other really great entries, but the one that just jogged my mind when he said Snake Plissken was. Uh Big Trouble in Little China, Kurt, uh, or Kurt Russell. Yeah, you know, almost any Kurt Russell movie would probably fit into that as well. Uh, yes. I, I don't know what it is to be on that, but yes, I, I watched that a couple times, and I, I get exactly where you're coming from. Let's talk to Charlie and Fond du Lac. Charlie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, it has to be uh, Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell. <laughs> oh, jeez. Any Will Ferrell movie might qualify for that as well. Um, that's... A little Will Ferrell goes a long way with me, but I think that's a pretty funny movie. Yeah, I, I. The only reason I watched the movie is because I love NASCAR so much. Right. But I just cannot stand Will Ferrell. <laughs> but, but right. But it, it's a bad movie, but you love it nonetheless. Uh, we're getting a huge response on our WTMJ text line: the Evil Dead trilogy with Bruce Campbell. Um, you know, I hate to admit this, but it's the second Evil Dead movie. That's one where the where he somehow gets transported to England in the like the fifteen hundreds. It's still it's technically the third one. Hondo corrects me. Okay, well that one now that's scary that you know that. I'm with that. I actually that's one that I watch all the time and I just again I'm embarrassed to admit that I do that. Um Office Space. See, I'm not sure Office Space I'd even categorize as a bad bad movie. I just like Office Space, period. Revenge of the Nerds. 
Um, again, I like Revenge of the Nerds. I'm not sure I'd classify that as a bad movie either. Art in Waukegan. Art, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, the movie I like uh, is The Lone Ranger with Johnny Tess. That, that is a so, bad movie. No question about it. That qualifies as a bad movie that you love anyways, huh? Uh, it's so bad, it's great. <laughs> I uh, I gotta confess that and okay and who I, I can picture the guy that played Johnny Depp played Tonto and that's all you need to know Johnny Depp played Tonto. Um, do you remember who played the Lone Ranger? I'm drawing a blank on the guy. No, I really yeah. don't. But I know when he uh, says "Hi, oh, Silver," Johnny Depp goes, "Don't do that." Um. But- yes. I- exactly. Yeah. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Bad movies that you love. Let's talk to Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. My current favorite bad movie is Alfred Justice with Steven Seagal. <laughs> Again, any Steven Seagal movie would probably qualify as a bad movie to start off with, but you'll love it. Why do you like Alfred Justice so much? Well, because they're not trying to be funny, but the dialogue is just so over-the-top yeah. cheesy that it's very funny. And some of the events that take place, such as when he takes on the whole bar with the pool ball, yeah. is uh, is also funny. Yeah, any, anything with Steven Seagal, again, that, that works with me as well. We're just getting a huge response to this on all the different media here. Um, Drop Dead Fred, Ishtar, <clears throat> Soap Dish with Sally Field, that's certainly one. Um, 410 to Yuma, I watched that the other night as well. The Fifth Element, that's what Elaine says. All sorts of great choices, and it's always a lot of fun. You can continue. Um, Again, we do have this up on our Facebook Live, so you can continue the conversation. You can go back and watch the discussion as well, and you can continue with the text. I'm always loving to get ideas. Again, for me, I'm confessing to Starship Troopers, Harley Davidson, and the Marlboro Man, and this this is something that I really hate to admit. I've got the poster up at my pod, Howard the Duck. I I acknowledge it is an awful, awful, awful movie. I got sucked in, and I actually, I'm the one person that owns the DVD of Howard the Duck, complete with the director's commentary. That's some money that I want back. It's 11.54. We're going to find out what's coming up on Scafidi and Bill Stad in just a minute. Stick around. It's 11.57. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Scafidi and Bill Stad coming up. So Eric Bilstad. You, together with my producer, Hondo, you're an Evil Dead guy, huh? Evil Dead 2 is by far the worst but best movie ever made. <laughs> by have, far. Have you, do you have, is it, I don't know if it's Stars or Showtime, you know, he, he's doing, they call it um, something versus the Evil Dead, whatever the character's name is in there. Oh, no. Um, no, it's, it's, it's season two. I, I've, I've watched both seasons on that. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> yes. It's just, it's, it's amazing how many ways I can find to just, like spend time that you want back, you know. You just you know. no. I'm proud of you that for watching that. That's great. Well, proud might not be the word we'd necessarily use. Okay, what do you guys got coming up on the big show? Well, if it's another day, it's another Trump story. So yep. we'll talk a little bit about Jeff Sessions, but we're going to talk also about IKEA. They unveiled their plans for their new Oak Creek store, which I know a little bit about. So we're going to talk about what that looks like, what that means for southeastern Wisconsin, and some other stuff mixed in. So lots to talk about today. Oak Creek, that's one of the happening areas. Lots of development, lots of good stuff coming in the next couple of years. You know what today marks, Jeff? What's today that? is the final day. Official day. A final oh. official day for Mayor Scafidi. Uh-huh. Well, he got Chick-fil-A to Oak Creek, so he's, he's, <laughs> okay. He, he, he's okay. After so you'll always call him Mr. Uh, Mayor. Then. Exactly, you know, because that, that that's, I mean, anytime, anytime a community has an opportunity to go with a Chick-fil-A store, I say, go do it. That's just, I'm, just, I'm just saying, that, that's, my test of, that's my test about whether a community is happening. Okay, I am out of time. Scafidi and Bill Stead is coming up right after the news. I am back 8.30 tomorrow morning when we do this all again. Have a great Thursday. This is Jeff.
Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1159.